I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hey, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. And this is Mike. And today we have our friends Alexandra Jameson and Bob Gower on the podcast talking about their brand new, super, super practical that we are so excited to use book lit called Getting to Hell Yes. So Alexandra Jameson is a success mentor, life and health coach to creative professional women who want it all. She is the best-selling author of Women, Food, and Desire, co-creator and co-star of the Oscar-nominated documentary Super Size Me, and highly sought-after wellness expert. And I love Alex. And Bob. Bob helps organizations move faster, create better products, and become happier. More engaging places to work. He is an authority on agile software development, lean theory, and responsive organizational design, and has advised leaders at numerous companies, including GE, Ford, Chanel, P, Procter & Gamble, and Spotify, in creating more effective organizations. He's also an author of Agile Business, A Leader's Guide to Harnessing complexity and speaks regularly on organizational development and leadership i would probably i should read his book i'd be really totally we have a very Uh, similar background yes you do and bob threw out a couple of really great book recommendations in this episode in addition to of course their own book getting to hell yes which is this conversation we're having today is about a framework that bob and alex who are a married couple created together called icbd and it's a Mm -hmm. framework for having uh difficult or high stakes conversations and i can literally think of three million applications of this and we've already used it in our own life since this episode and i can just see how healing this conversation can be so the framework is sharing your intentions concerns boundaries and dreams or desires and in this episode you're going to hear how that can play out with your children in marriage in community work in your business with customers in sales conversations and more Mm-hmm. It, yeah I don't have anything else to add on that. It was a great conversation. And we actually not only used it in our own life, but we used it with our friend who is navigating a potential job offer. So I sent her the book and I was like, do this. I was like, this is perfectly time for what you're doing and to go through that. So she's working through that right now. And uh, it was really good. And reading, I <laughs> this mean, this was a really good episode. <laughs> it's just, it's one thing to read a book, but then it's also to hear how you can apply this in your day to day life. And so I feel like that's what this podcast is about. It starts off with, you know, the theory behind all of this, and then we get into some practical applications. And I feel like that is really important for this. I'm going to use this a lot. I'm going to use this to make decisions of projects that I want to roll out, working with clients, working with everything, how we build our business. This, this framework is really important and I, it's easy. It's simple. By the end of the interview, I was able to memorize the whole thing, what we're supposed to do. So it was very helpful. So enjoy, enjoy the episode. Enjoy the show. Hello, Bob and Alex. Hi. How are you two? We're good. Thanks good. for being here. So happy. It's so fun to hear from you. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for reaching Instagram out. All the time. Yeah. Well, Instagram. Right. But in real life. Last time we spoke was Woodstock in the winter 
like mm -hmm. four years ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah, that was the last time I saw you, Bob. I've seen Alex in between at a wedding shower. You guys and a wedding. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I stay at home. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this for you too? Is this book getting to hell? Yes. Is this the first project, business-wise, that you guys have collaborated on? Yes. And let me tell you, we did the four-part conversation about whether or not to write a book together as a married couple. <laughs> okay, so let's dive let's into dive, that. Yeah. So, okay, so I was reading Getting to Hell Yes. I love how practical it is. I'm excited to practice ICBD, the four-part conversation. ICBD. I'm saying it correctly. Yes. Okay. <laughs> With Mike and also our team, I can think of a lot of scenarios in my life that this could go down. But I, what I'm craving to talk about today, if it's okay with you guys, is more like concrete examples of how this has gone down in your life and then also the lives of people you work with. And then I may or may not come up with some scenarios that I have in mind. Of how it could go your head, you might have some, yeah. something, yeah. First of all, we should define. I will say, um, I think that that having Bex, um, so our mutual friend, Rebecca Baruki, her forward was so effective to set up the book as like, oh my God, I can't wait to read this. This is mm -hmm. going to change my life. It made me well, cry. It made me cry when I read that, that intro that yeah. she wrote. It was yeah. incredible. Yeah. She was probably the first friend outside of a workshop setting that I shared it with. And, you know, Bex, she, she took it, she ran with it. And she said within a couple of weeks, she got back to me, I think this just saved my marriage. And, you know, she's got five kids. And she's like, I'm using it with my husband. It turned something around for us. I'm using it with my kids. She's making her teenagers read it now, which is so amazing. So, yeah, I was, we were blown away. Yeah, and it really, first of all, I love Bex. I love you guys. So I loved knowing that this is helping her. And also, just from a marketing perspective, I was like, wow. When the foreword is that good, it really sets up the book for like, oh, I, I need to read this. I need to, I need to incorporate this into my life. I don't even know what it is yet, but I'm in. I mean, I was, I had bought in from that forward. So mm -hmm. that was cool. And that really speaks to, I think, something that emerged from this process for us, which was, you know, like we know a lot of people who are really good marketers with big lists and, you know, it's actually somewhat common, I guess, in the world for people to to almost like either brag about the size of their list or ask, you know, like there's a little bit of that. And it's always made me feel kind of icky and bad. And then I think as we started thinking about who should write the forward, like who should write, you know, we were like, well, we know this may be big name, maybe we can get them. And, and they realized, no, it needs to be somebody for whom it is transformative. You know, somebody who, who really felt it because that's what this thing is about. And that's actually, I think probably a good marketing decision. Not to mention Bex does have a nice list as well. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> she knows. it wasn't but, because of that. It was no. because it was because she was moved and she moved us. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's a good story. Yeah. I um, love going to the list party conversation. So fun. Yeah. How big is your list? My list is bigger. Oh yeah. Let's get a ruler out right now. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. What we're talking about here. Um, <laughs> for those listening, if you did not catch Bex on our podcast, we had her on last year on you have four minutes to change your life, her book on meditation and anxiety. So check that out. Okay. So tell us 
How did, okay, so if you could go over what the acronym is and then tell us how that conversation went down for you two about should we even write this book as our first concrete example. All right, you do acronym, I'll do the second part. Sure, the acronym is Intentions, Concerns, Boundaries, and Dreams. Sometimes we say desires, Hmm. and sometimes for intentions, I have to kind of put a a finer point on it and say this is your why or your purpose for doing this thing. And so we want to separate that from your wildest dreams about what might happen. Really just the intention is what gets you through the door. Like, why would I, why would I choose to do this at all? And that's usually connected to values, yeah. things that you value. Yeah. Shoot. What was the follow-up question? The follow-up question. <laughs> I know it's tricky. This is tricky. <laughs> so, I have my own show. I know how to do this. I, don't know I know, but you know what? I will say this. I, the energy of doing an interview with Mike is incredibly different than me alone. And then when you add Bob and you add you, suddenly we have four energies here as opposed to two. It's a very different conversation. I think this is our, we, we've done a lot of interviews on people's shows as a couple, but it's always one interviewer. So this is our first time actually. Yeah, you're right. It, it adds organizational communication complexity. When you- it does. The only other couple we've had this. on were Peter and Brianna Borton. Um, so you guys are only correct. our second twofer. Mm-hmm. So thanks for being here. <laughs> we can do this. We can all do this. I, I believe in us. Okay. So, so Alex, if you could tell us about the, whatever specifics you care to share about how it went down with the ICBD conversation about, should we even write a book together as a married couple? Right. Okay. So little inside story here. I, well, Bob, you have as well, but I have had a previous relationship that was also a creative partnership that went horribly, horribly wrong. (laughs) And I ended up, I mean, it was really years of kind of therapy around it. I really ended up feeling unappreciated, taken advantage of, cut out, cheated, like a lot of really, really negative feelings. Never even got a formal credit for it. Yeah, didn't get formal credit for it. I actually got like a legal letter from a lawyer saying you cannot call yourself co-producer of this project. Yeah, it's just really shitty. So when we started talking about this was like, I just to let you know, my lizard brain, my amygdala is freaking out right now. This is going to be horrible. I don't even want to do it because I'm afraid it will ruin our relationship while we write it. And then afterwards, you know, will I be taken advantage of again? Or will you feel like I didn't pull my way? You know, just so many fears, Mm -hmm. so many fears. So we decided to get so meta (laughs) use ICBD about writing ICBD. (laughs) And by the way, it's, it's a conversation that we're now in kind of all the time. We do kind of formally set aside time to go through the process about specific projects or vacations or, you know, like seventh grade is starting, that kind of thing. But we're kind of always in the conversation now. And through that process of listing my concerns and my fears and my worries, even the ones that my brain is telling me, okay, that's like crazy. Don't say that out loud. That's nuts. He's going to hold it against you it really smoothed things over so beautifully. And we were able to see, hey, the relationship's gonna win, right? Let's do this. But if it becomes a problem, if we don't work together creatively, 
very well. That was another worry. Like, what if we suck at being co-writers? What if it's just not fun? Then <laughs> Bob was like, then we don't write the book. The marriage is the important thing. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> no. What was it? So how did you guys structure this? Did you write a chapter? You Bob writes a chapter, Alex writes a chapter, so on. Did you sit down and like word for word start writing it together? What was your process? All of that, I it think. Yeah, yeah. We, and it took us a long time because actually the book started off really as a Google document that we because we were getting we would get questions from time to time. You know, people we had taught the process to calling us up and saying, what was that process again? And then I'd have an hour long phone conversation with them, which was delightful, but time consuming. And so we thought, <laughs> let's, let's write a job. Let's just give them something. And then we started thinking, you know, I think we're both, you know, like. We're a little slow on the update. It's a little slow on the update. We're like, wait a minute, people keep asking us for this thing. And we're looking for products to, you know, things to produce. Sure. We should produce the thing that people are asking us for <laughs> and make it a real thing. Wow. That happened. Yeah, so I mean, I think we wrote the, the entire first draft almost in a weekend. It was like a bored summer weekend. It was completely, didn't even know it was coming. It was just like Saturday morning. We didn't have any plans. And I was just like, well, I'm going to write this thing. And we just started, and, I, and then I spit it over to you. And we kind of went back and forth. That was iteration one. And iteration two, I really, when was when we decided to make it a product. And I read um, Ryan Holiday's book, The Perennial Seller. I don't know if you picked it up or if you know it. It's actually weirdly his not his best-selling book. <laughs> Ironic. Ironic. But perennial seller means it sells for a long time, not it sells yeah, a lot. Right. Thing, right? So maybe, maybe yeah. it is his best book. I don't know. I actually got a lot out. I love Ryan's work, but I got a lot out of that particular book. And basically he has this whole thing where you, you talk about the production of it with the, you know, with the customer in mind and then the positioning of it, you know, like where you want to position it and then the promotion of it. And I that's the three parts. And as I was going through the production, I was like, well, we haven't really thought super carefully about who this is for, what we want them to be able to do after, and all of those things. And so there I went to a Trello board, or we went to a Trello board, and then kind of broke it all down. And, like, and then the book became about half as long, because we're like, it just needs to do this. It became a yeah. tool that does X, yeah. rather than a pontification about something that included a tool, which is kind of where it started. And that was a really wonderful moment for me. Have, I, it, this is my fifth book, and the first four were all with traditional publishers. And I had this other lurking, hidden concern that I didn't know was there until we got to this point. And I realized I do not want to blow this up into some bloated 340-page thing. It does not need to be. This is a tool that needs, you know, an hour, maybe an hour and a half to be read. And is this self, this is self-published. Yes. Got it. Yeah. I read it in two pumping sessions. Great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not huge. The new time measurements. That's my time measurement. How many pumping sessions? How, mu how many ounces did I get while reading Getting to Hell? <laughs> you can judge about how good the book is based off the amount of milk you get. No, that has much to do with the time of the day. classical music to your belly. Yeah. But it was really satisfying because on my Kindle, it was like, Oh, I'm here. I'm here setting up. And oh, wow, look, I'm 42% done. And then I got to the, I read the tool and I was done. And I was like, this is refreshing. <laughs> satisfying, isn't it? <laughs> so satisfying. Oh, so good. 
I love I love checking off a book. Yeah, oh, I, I, I just, uh, I, this is my second book, and I think it's the first book that I've written that my friends have actually read. <laughs> what was your first book? It was called Agile Business, and I wrote it. It was a collection of essays that I edited and produced with a former company that I worked with. So, okay, organizational design. So it's a very very niche kind of book. It's not surprising yeah. that friends yeah. didn't read it. Well, one of the other things that we discovered, like we had never done this exact kind of thing together before. So we discovered towards the end that we just had this Google doc that we were working in together. We're like, you do that section, I'll do this section. And then we would read each other's stuff. And we, Bob was the first one to realize, you know what, we can just edit each other's stuff. We don't have to like laboriously go through the changes that we each made because we trust each other as writers and we both know the content so well. It's like make changes. If you need, if you see something that needs to change, change it. Like yeah. you don't have to run it by me. Let's just do this thing. And it, it helps that Google Docs is non-destructive editing and you can <laughs> add to any previous version at any time I didn't even that know you that. want to. He's so techie, he knows all this stuff. I'm like, great. Alex was so trusting, whereas Bob knew he could go back. <laughs> I was also probably the more heavy-handed editor, I think. I don't know, did you, did you experience that, me that way? Probably, I am such a quick start, like let's get this thing done kind of person. And he's like, no, no, no. I mean, when he said Trello board, I'm like, you started the Trello board. I'm like, oh, great, a tool I didn't know anything about. Cool. Trello is a project management software, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Among other things, it's basically a list, and you can use a list for project management if you want to. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's nice. Great. It's color coded. You would love it. It's color coded. <laughs> I, know it. I love you it. I don't need to know I've managed my whole life with it. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, Trello. Trello. Yeah, it's nice. It's easier than like because we use teamwork for our business stuff, mm -hmm. and it's just. Like teamwork just can get messy. We use like 60% or 50% of what teamwork actually has to offer. So, yeah. but yeah, Trello is just, it's a much more, it, it gets a little complicated the more people you can put into it, unless you have it set up correctly from the beginning. Exactly. Anyway. Okay, so I have a question about ICBD. Okay. Many questions. Um, one, is, <laughs> one is, I, like many of us in this culture, focused on solutions and moving forward and action always. Mike will come to me talking about something. We have the opposite thing where, you know, oftentimes the woman will say to the man, like, I just wanted to say that I didn't want solutions. More often than not, it's Mike coming to me talking and then I'm like, well, you could try this and then, or maybe that or whatever. And he's like, nope, just wanted to talk to you. And I'm like, oops, sorry. So, so I can see how this framework would prevent that, which is genius. Yes. But my little monkey mind was reading it thinking, but when does the part where the suggestions go? <laughs> like, when do you fix it? Okay, so I- Is it all? Okay, perfect. So I actually just taught this to a client right before we started this recording. Great. And by the way, I've taught it to her a few times. Like, this is a new way of thinking about how to communicate with people. So don't kill yourself if you don't get it perfect on the first run through. Like this is a new way to think about how to talk to somebody. And, you know, she was, emotions come into play and it can get fuzzy. And so I was taking her through, okay, this is, you share your intentions and this is what intentions mean. And then you share your concerns, the big ones, the little ones, the crazy ones, just put them all out there. And then she's like, wait a minute, when do we, is this when we get to work on them? <laughs> no, actually, we're not working on, we're not fixing anything right now. The whole point of it is to lay everything out. Bob 
so brilliant. He said, this is like an emotional prenup where you're figuring out the landmines before you get there, right? You're seeing where the challenges might be and if you're in alignment on everything. And you're gonna find where there's points where you're not in alignment. And when you get through the whole conversation, then you'll be clear like, oh, like, okay, now we know like there's this one thing that was back there that we need to talk more about. But this conversation is not where you fix everything. It's where you lay everything out. Yeah, actually I really like this. Um... Do you know Priya Parker, The Art of Gathering is a book that just came out. We just saw her speak the other day. She's incredible. No. One of the things I love. Priya Parker? Priya Parker, yeah. Okay. And one of the things I loved at the beginning of this little workshop thing we did with her was she's like, you can judge me, but judge me later. Like, don't judge me every step of the way because I designed this. I actually stole it yesterday because I was facilitating a bunch of engineers yesterday. And I was like, you're going to judge me, but just judge me at the end of the day rather than at the beginning of the day. And so I think that's sort of what we're asking people with ICBD is sort of like, absolutely judge, absolutely problem solve, absolutely, you know, like figure things out, but let's do it after we have complete information, after we have, you know, after we know what we're dealing with, because often what happens, one is like, if I speak a concern, is that concern just sounds stupid to me as soon as I say it, I'm like, oh, that's never going to happen. Or if it does happen, it's easy to mitigate, it's easy to deal with. But then when we also also have to, I think, allow ourselves to, if it's something really important, to allow ourselves to discover that we're actually not aligned. And this would be a really bad idea, you know, to do together. You know, like if we were if we're going on vacation and I'm like, I want to run an Ironman, which I would never say, but <laughs> I love that look on her face. Someone was just talking about tough mutter to me the other day and I got excited about that. I want. You have fun with that. Okay. Um, the idea of a vacation <laughs> sitting with a book for five days. Actually, more likely than not. Like, so let's say one of us said, I want to go to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico and just drink all the time. And the other one, you know, which again, neither of us, that would be a sort of a non-starter for both of us, that kind of vacation. But if that's what you really want out of a vacation, then maybe we should have separate vacations. You know, maybe we should try something, which we do actually from time to time, do so, things separately. So we like to say like in this space, you can ask questions, clarifying questions. If you're not sure or you need more information, you can ask those questions. But this is not a place to attack or argue points. Mm -hmm. Just information gathering. And again, that's very different from how I used to do things because like, I like, what's the tool? How do we move forward? Let's start going. And often then you run into a bunch of problems. If you jump into the details too quickly, you lose sight of the, the, the overarching purpose or the intent or, and I think what we really want is just, we want people to feel like they're for each other at the end of the conversation. Like I've got your back. Like I understand, I know where you're coming from. And, you know, sort of the example we use in the beginning of the book where we talk about you know, our neighbor smoking beneath our window. Yeah. yeah. And sort of like when we thought it was the first floor neighbors who we don't know, we were like, I, I don't, I'm not going to swear on your podcast, but you know, you can swear. <laughs> okay. So fuck those guys. You know, like, like there's more fuel for another letter to the landlord about those jerks. And then when we found out it was our second floor neighbor who our kids play together and we love him and we know him and we barbecue together, we're like, oh, that's fine. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, and it was all because we have empathy for one person and no empathy for the other. You know, like all uh, friend, actually my friend Kevin pointed this out to me yesterday. He's like, it's kind of like what, you know, Pema Chodron talks about. It's like, you bring something to the interaction and it's all about what you bring to the interaction. And so when I bring more empathy, more understanding, more knowledge to an interaction, 
what you know Chris Boss talks about tactical empathy, right? When I bring empathy to the conversation, problems have a way, we don't need to workshop them so much. They have a way of sort of evaporating or, or solutions have a way of sort of naturally appearing. That's our intent. Not that you can't add a problem-solving thing on after this. Sure, go for it. But that's not what the intent of this is. That's great. I love that. So can we do, I think for the listeners at at this point, it's helpful to like walk through an exercise. We've done a lot of theory and behind the scenes. Do we have an issue we'd like to discuss? Probably. We could practice. Yeah. Or I don't know if you guys have, because you do workshops on this. So do you have an example you want to share with people or we could talk about? about Like in starting school. I think that will speak to their audience pretty well. Okay, cool. Yeah. And also we did a, we did a live event this week where we had a couple on stage who were talking about a potential business partnership that I thought that we could walk through as well. But Great. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, or do you have something you would like to talk about? Not really. Otherwise I would have suggested it. Okay. Well, let's start with, the, with our kid example first and Great. then we'll probably have time to do another one if we want. So seventh grade just started and you know, our kid, my son, Bob's stepson, you know, seventh grade's a big year. So yes. first. It's very scary for us. The, <laughs> it's very scary. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because our, our old trauma is coming back up. So first we set the scene. And that's a really important part of any conversation is you don't want to approach any conversation by saying, we need to talk. Nothing good has ever come after that phrase. (laughs) So we decided to go out to brunch, beautiful place. Let's all be fed in a nice setting. And then we, we brought it up and he's been through this quite a few times. Our son has, so he's a little bit used to it, but not like a master of it. He doesn't exactly know. Yeah, we're not, we don't really tell him we're doing the process. We just do the process, which is the other great, I mean, I do this as a sales process all the time without the other person knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really great. Right. And also I think with Lakin too, like there was a little bit of, he, you know, when we're saying, why do you want to go to seventh grade? And he's like, I don't. <laughs> you know, like, right. And you're like, well, you're going. Right. So. <laughs> well, we talk about intentions with him. We started off with intentions. He's like, well, do I have to? No, well, okay, maybe not. But what do you like? What do you want to get out of this year? Let's frame it that. Where my intention was, you know, I want you to have a year where you feel like you've learned a lot, where you like your friends, where you enjoy your school and feel supported. Hmm. It's just true. actually, I'm just realizing too. Like my intention for like, and now that I've thought about it more is that seventh grade and eighth grade are the years that you grow up. It's like, it's like the transitional it's from, you know, child to pre-adult, let's say, you know, and which is, which is a big shift and sort of helping him to do that, you know, in the beginnings of differentiation, the beginning of separation, like to kind of help him do that in as painless a way as possible, recognizing that pain is an inevitable part of that process probably as well. This is very heady. I think this is the super adult version. of. Yeah. Well, I'm just realizing like I have all this attention, you know, intention for, you know, like, and I think this is the whole thing is as you go through the process, I, you know, actually, Mike, it sounds like I'm a verbal processor and I, maybe you are as well. Like, like, I just want to talk. Like, I just want to talk things out. I can't decide until I'm actually by myself and quiet, but I have to like get the information for that. This is actually, this process is actually great for people like me anyway. I have all these intentions that I hadn't really surfaced before. Yeah. 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 Until you're talking. Until you're talking. Yeah. 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 And then we all talked about our concerns. And what were Lakin's concerns? 
I can't remember. Oh, except he has like a nemesis every year. So mm -hmm. let it revolve around that kid. It changes. The, the yeah. Sometimes the nemesis becomes the best friend the next year. Right, yeah. Right. But, yeah. yeah, he was he was worried about, oh, there's going to be homework every day this year. And we have to take tests. You know, and he was just like listing out all this stuff. And it's just a space, right? He, he knows now that we're not going to like try to make him feel a different yeah. way. He just gets a chance to talk. So good. And mm -hmm. then, oh yeah, so yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, and then our concerns were, I was like, I'm worried that you'll feel overwhelmed or that the schedule will get so crazy and you won't feel like you can talk to us or find us when you need us. And, you know, so we just laid out all of our concerns. Yeah, and I, I remember being concerned that, the, I was concerned about the homework too because we have a pretty chill household. You know, like we're not, always running places or doing things. We actually moved close to his school, what, four years ago, five years ago. So he could walk and, you know, first it was us walking him and now it's him walking himself. And like, I love our chill mornings together. I don't want to be rushing to finish homework. I don't want anybody to be, I think, you know, us having our little musical dance party in the morning is fine. You know, like, yeah. I don't want, I, you know, like I want to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're such a great stepdad. <laughs> no kidding. A terrible <laughs> academic role model. Wow. <laughs> well, okay, so fuck the homework. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's interesting because earlier this summer, Lakin had had a bit of a, a meltdown. Like you know, really, really, he really laid it out for me. You know, tears and crying, like, what if I don't do well? What if I have to be held back? What if I don't do good on my tests? You and dad are going to be so disappointed in me. Like, right? Because he knows that he has that space because we've done this conversation so many times. Yeah, I mean, the added sort of complexity in New York City is that he's his school doesn't go through high school. So it means wow. next year is high school exam year. You know, like it's an intense, intense process here. And, you know, he certainly picked up on attention from teachers and from us and from everybody about that. So not only is the hormonal stuff and the social stuff happening, but he's being judged. His, yeah. you know, his, his value is being judged. How old are you in seventh grade? How old is he? 13, 14. He'll be 12 in December. 12, 13. But yeah. in, in New York City, you have to apply to high school, even if it's public high school. So you have to go through, it's like the most stressful process. It's worse than applying to colleges. You got wow. to go all over the city, visit schools, apply to each one, and it's, it's bazonkers. Yeah. So that actually, when we got to boundaries, I said, look, I know that, you know, finding the right school for you is important to me, but I refuse for us to go insane in the process. Awesome. So this year is about helping you develop and learn and enjoy. Mm -hmm. I will not let us get dragged down that crazy spiral. That's a boundary for me. And we're going to have a tutor. You know, we're going to we're going to put safeguards in place and we're going to do certain things to help and here's our let's talk about screen time rules, right? That's a boundary as well. And boundaries are also things that you do want, not just mm -hmm. you don't want. Like, all right, we're going to have two hours of screen time a day on the weekends. During the week, it, there's like, okay, we'll watch something together before bed on TV. But there's like, you know, you're not coming home and we're not arguing about whether or not you get to play video games. That's just not how we roll. 
Like it is homework and hang time. That's it. Alex is like a master boundary maker and keeper. <laughs> That's awesome. You do it with such love. You do it with such like it's just sort of been, and without any question, without any equivocation. Like mm -hmm. this is happening or this is not happening. <laughs> And you can feel however you want to about it. And I would really prefer you feeling happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy either way. <laughs> That's amazing. Bob is expressing his intention for your boundary rules. At this That's moment. amazing. I love hearing that. Putting it's just, I don't know that I very often, I mean, this is a generalization, but it is true. I don't hear about that many women who would say, or somebody would say about them, she is a master of boundaries. So I just want to really celebrate that, Alex. Really? Thank you. Yeah. Two things about that. Oh. I was raised by a high school principal. Uh-huh. <laughs> My father was a high school principal for 25 years. Um, and he was just, it was just so clear. Like, these are the expectations and the rules. And there's, you know, there's freedom in life. But these are the rules, and you know what they are. And there are repercussions for crossing those boundaries. So it was just always super clear. And I also noticed something that I do differently than other parents I know, which is parents will ask their kid, like, this is what we're doing, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay <laughs> at the end? Like, you're asking your kid to agree with you about something they obviously are going to say no to. You know, that's a really good mm -hmm. point. We actually learned that from our, we took a parenting class with our pediatrician who has a PhD in some sort of kid psychology something and she told us that but i forgot so thank yeah. you <laughs> I don't need to ask especially my, with a three-year-old i don't need to ask penelope's permission to pick her up and take her to the no. grocery store no. like you're we're just having coming with you me. okay we're gonna go yeah. home for a nap okay no don't no. ask her that question no we're yeah. going home for a nap she's gonna say no this is not okay <laughs> well i watched something i think that the, probably the, the, the most skillful application of this was the other day when we were sitting around the kitchen table and it was a saturday oh, yeah. And it was, you know, it's Saturday, we, you know, it's this hot Saturday and we're kind of stuck inside a little bit. And so we're sitting inside and we're having lunch and he now has a lizard. We have a lizard in our house now and feeding the lizard requires mealworms. So we have to have, not only do we have to like handle live worms, but we have to source them as well. And you have, oh, dear. and so Alex was faced with having to go like the next day to Union Square to get mealworms. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, let's take an hour out of my day for your lizard. You two know? hours. Two hours. And so, uh, and Lagan, he's never been on the subway by himself before. And within the space of about five minutes, she had clearly decided that this was happening this afternoon. And there was literally, there was like, I, watched, I just watched Lagan, there was like no way that he could not, that he could get around that. It was happening. He was going and he was going to be happy about it. And not only that, it was an adventure and a duty. And so. Yeah. Like, mom <laughs> has decided that you are taking the train by yourself. Here's the money. Here's my Metro card. And you totally know how to do this. Like, it's fine. You got this. And so that's like the other thing about, that's the other gift of boundaries. It's like, you got, you know, like, I trust you to be able to respect this and be able to, to, to handle this. Yeah. Actually, that's my experience of us in our relationship too. Like, I, you know, this is not my, I have been in many other relationships and some quite bad ones. Actually, I had some very bad habits. And early on, I was like, oh, my, those bad habits I have must disappear or mm -hmm. she will, you know? And I was like, and she never had to say anything. It was just really obvious. Mm. So, yeah, I agree. Segue, but that was, but it really taught me how Enough to like- Enough about Alex and her amazing boundaries. <laughs> I love this conversation. <laughs> <I'm so on. laughs> you have amazing boundaries. It, it taught me how to love you. It taught me how to be, you know, and that's the thing. I think if we're talking about boundaries, 
I think it was from Alex that I learned this, that letting someone know your boundaries in advance is a gift. Yes. It's a gift to you. It's a gift to them because man, does it suck to cross someone's boundary, you know? Yeah, everyone feels bad. Everyone feels bad. Well, especially when you didn't know there was a boundary. Exactly. Right. I mean, it sucks if you knew there was a boundary and then you crossed it anyway. That's kind of one version. But when you didn't know and then they're so mad, it's really awful. It is. It Because is. that is yeah. that, you're right, it is such a gift to let people know our boundaries. Yeah. I mean, your next book could be researching, like, couples that have healthy relationships, and I guarantee there's great boundaries in there. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. For sure. I probably started with the woman... I bet you like, somebody got mad. Yeah, it was because in our relationship, if you think back in the beginning, like there was boundaries. You're right. We created it. Actually, in uh, this is a this is a funny boundary story. Because so, I was uh, well, I the cocky funny, yeah. the David D'Angelo so, cocky funny. I got a I got a call. Like, I, Actually, yeah. this is relevant because <laughs> it, our mutual friend Laura Garnett is who introduced you two, which is you know, and now you're married, which is so amazing. She's also who introduced me and Alex. And it was at Laura's birthday party. Remember at that little restaurant in New York? And I think you were there too, Bob. Yes, he was. You guys were just dating, I think. Anyway. (laughs) That was the day we got married, maybe, because we went to her birthday party at ABC. Oh, no, it was earlier. Yeah, it was before. There's so many Laura Garnett birthdays. (laughs) There are, which I love. I'm sure Laura will be on the podcast at some point. We learned about the knots. We learned about the knots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so I got a call. I got an email from Laura saying, well, I think it was Laura saying, Nicole Day Doan wants to do a coaching call for you. And I was like, okay, that's so weird. She wrote the book Slow Sex and she's the founder of One Taste. I really had no idea how she knew who I was. But I was like, great, I'll take it. <laughs> and so I got on the call and it was a week before Mike and I were supposed to leave on our road trip. In 2011. In 2011. And I just, I, she was like, what's going on? She was telling her about, I was, this is sort of maybe an ICBD conversation. I was telling her about this road trip. I was about to leave to go on the road with a man I barely knew. And I had these, you know, concerns, obviously. And one of them is that he was like so sarcastic, but also really loving. But the sarcasm was really biting and it hurt my feelings. And she challenged me to call him up and have a boundary discussion where I said, okay, we're going to go on this trip and I need you to know these are the following behaviors that are not acceptable to me. And I did that. You did. And here we are. Yeah. I learned learned the techniques from studying David D'Angelo's cocky funny about attracting women to you. And, but he didn't, I guess I never got to the point about what to do when you have the woman. Right, like keeping one around. <laughs> yeah, to stop, right? You got to so, change your tactic. And so, did. yeah, it was like, you have to cut that shit out. And yeah. we're going to be doing this. And so. it is good information for those of you listening that might need to find a person in your life that you want to and hasn't been successful but or whatever, but it is. Was the cocky funny attractive initially or was it always a bit of a problem? It was. Okay. I'll tell you what. It was interesting. Yeah. It was like... Yes. It was like, I will say I was confused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike and I met in June 2010, and he proceeded to follow up with me regularly until January 2011, when I, we'd only seen each other three times in between, but he would like email and Skype me and write these comments on my blog and call. And the whole time I was like, is this guy interested in me or does he want to like network about marketing? <laughs> I just 
wasn't sure. And literally until the first night of our road trip when he kissed me and I was like, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it definitely kept me on my toes and interested. Um, but I think more what kept me interested was your heart. I think that we mm -hmm. could say it was the cocky funny, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Yeah. So back to your conversation with Nicole about boundaries. So in Lakin is now, he's now been in seventh grade for what, three weeks. Yeah. And just about a week ago, uh, the nemesis reared its head again. And so there's this one kid in his class that is really teasing him. And the other boys are ganging up and it's becoming a borderline bullying situation. And, you know, my inner mama bear immediately wants to go destroy <laughs> whoever is attacking my child. But we had a really clear conversation, a couple of conversations with him about, like, you need to tell him your boundary. You need to tell him, I don't like this. I want you to stop. If, or if you can't just be nice to me, don't talk to me. So these are your boundaries. And if it persists, tell me we're going to the guidance counselor of like this is, but we have to have a boundary in place so that when it's broken or walked over, then we know what to do next. And he's also blocked on Instagram too, a couple of the boys, right? Yeah. 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 He also is like, I don't want them commenting on my mm -hmm. anymore. So he's like, he's starting to take steps and creating his own Which boundaries that way. And that might inspire me actually to quit Facebook altogether. Like I'm this close <laughs> right now just to leading Facebook. I know. So, I know. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I understand. Five years I've been this close. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I, I want to get invited to stuff. I want the invites. Anyway. I know the invites, and then like the only reason I'm on Facebook is to interact with the people who are in our programs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just somebody actually just reached out to me today who would not have, have had my contact information otherwise, and. Mm -hmm. Hire me to do something. I'm like, okay, well, that's, All right, that's good. Okay, a point for Facebook. <laughs> yeah. So we have to. I mean, I wish that I had known how to, and had the safe space to think about how I felt and what I wanted and what I didn't want when I was 11. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it would be a have been seventh grade would have been very different if I had had the conversation with my parents that you had with him. What a gift. Yeah. And then, you know, we always end on a high note. After right. we all talk about our boundaries, we, we get to dreams or desires. It depends on what context we're talking about. But, you know, his, his dreams were, you know, very, very seventh grade boy. He was like, you know, I want to have fun and I want to take art classes. And, you know, I want everybody to like me this mm -hmm. year. Yeah. I was like, great. I like it. Yeah. And then our dreams for him, you know, again, really sharing your dreams is like, go big, mm. inspire yourself and each other. And I talked about my, my dreams for him, but also my dreams for us as a family. You know, I still want us to have fun and have downtime and, you know, go do silly things. And I want you to feel like you've come a long way this year. And I still want mommy to have mom time with her boy and me time by herself and <laughs> all, all these things. And yeah. in that last space, you can really find the, the energy together that helps you move forward as a team. Mm -hmm. You know, that co-created energy is really powerful. That's such a great example of how this works in a family. So I'm really 
I'm understanding this on a deeper level. And my question now, and maybe Bob, you can share an example because I was reading the book thinking, okay, so how could we use this in our team, in our, in our company? So we work with, I think maybe 10 people, but it's probably more like six who are the, you know, the, the, big the core of the I don't team. know how to say it. Yeah. The, yeah, the core. The ones who work full time, yeah. essentially. So what would be an example of how this might go down with multiple people, like maybe on a Zoom call? Yeah. For example. So, um, and what the topic could be. Yeah, I facilitate this a lot. And so the most, actually the most recent thing I did was with a leadership team at a nonprofit that I'm working with. And, you know, they, they're actually, they've been around for a little while, but they're still quite small. So we kind of brought them together, plus a couple of board members. And really, the topic was, why this? Why this nonprofit? Why do you want to be involved? You know, what brought you here? And what was really moving about that was that it's actually a team that's under a little bit of stress. They're not doing great. Actually, they're doing pretty good now. But they came in with some stress, and they came in with some challenge. And so, you know, like the, the, and, the and part of it was, frankly, the founder's behavior, who was, you know, founder syndrome being what it is often, right? He's telling everybody what to do and then disappearing and then coming back and then telling everybody, you know, and sort of like that kind of, you know, people are like, what do I do? Am I doing a good job? Am I not? And there's a little animosity among kind of coworkers that was generated from there. But it started off with him talking, giving us, telling a story about actually some relatively deep sort of childhood trauma that actually led him to this topic area that this nonprofit is based on. And I, I really don't want to name any, any yeah. potentially identifiable at all because it was so personal. But frankly, we were all in tears by the end of the con- by the end of the conversation, or by the end of the, that particular, just that one share. And it went on for quite a while. It was like a 15-minute share, which is really long for this, but but it was so rich. And then other people came at it because it's a nonprofit as well. People are obviously very values aligned. They are, they're attracted to it because of their values. And so people really got to talk about where the source of their values as well. And he really set the, set a good tone. And then as we went around the room, we, you know, um, we talked about our concerns and concerns were really like they were an embattled team and they didn't have a clear focus because they had done a couple of different things and they were like, and they weren't, their last source of funding had dried up and a, a lot of stuff was happening. You know, there was a potential funder actually even in the room with us at the time. Actually, no, no, we kicked him out for this portion because we thought it was too personal. So we're like, we, we made him take a walk. But, you know, but part of it is like you want to be able to, and that's the set and setting, right? You want to set it up in a place where people feel safe to, to be somewhat vulnerable and even prime them to be like, look, actually, this also comes from Priya Parker. Transformation happens from heat. It happens from conflict. It happens, you know, like we don't transform when we all, it's all, you know, hugs and bunnies and, and rainbows and things. It comes when we actually interact in a way and reconcile, you know, reconcile maybe opposing viewpoints and, and each of us bring some of our own, more of ourselves to the conversation. So we have to prime them with that. And then it helps to have a facilitator, by the way, too, kind of keeping time and keeping, and keeping crosstalk to a minimum. So then the next bit, it was we talked about our concerns and there were significant concerns in the room. Like one woman said, I think we're reinventing the patriarchy here and we don't want to be doing that. You know, like, and man, like when you're dealing with a found, you know, like it was, whew, you know, like, people saying stuff that they had never said before. And then boundaries, I encourage people to really focus on what do you need to be a really good worker? Like we want you to be the best you can be. So what do you, how, what kind of self-care is important to you? What kind of environment do you need to work in? What kind of support do you need? Maybe even what kind of decision rights do you need in this organization? Do you need signing authority on checks? You know, like, because you're not gonna be able to do a good job without that. So getting it all out again, we don't have to ratify it all. We just have to get it all out but really, really emphasizing the self-care. 
And then the last bit is, you know, dreams. Hey, if we're really successful, what, how does it feel to us? And man, does that conversation get exciting. And even metrics, right? And even metrics, right? You know, like we'll be on the front page of this, we'll be on the front page of that, we'll be on stage at this conference talking about this level of success. We'll have this number of followers or this number of, you know, satellite, you know, thing, you know, like our budget will look like this, you know, all of those things, like really, really getting specific. And even for a project, you mentioned this or it came up recently that maybe one person in the, on the team represents the customer or the project, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe if we did it again, maybe we would have somebody represent like, I am the book, mm-hmm. I am speaking for the book or I'm yeah. speaking for your customer avatar. Yeah. Like that person plays that role as well. Yeah. That's cool. We've also had friends use this kind of in a similar size business to yours that in, in when they, when they're bringing on a new person, like they'll hire a new person, even in the job interview, you know, like, why do you want to work here? What concerns you about working here? What do you need to, you know, like, and I, and I just think about it, like one of the things that I, that I'm really passionate about is work not being a shitty place for people to be, you know, (laughs) frankly, like, and it is for so many people, right? Like we just sort of accept it. Oh, work is shitty, right? That's the way it should be. And, and I just don't think it has to be that way you know, at all. I don't believe in zero sum games for the most part. I think we tend to invent them where they don't exist. Like work has to win or, or your self-care has to win. I don't, I don't think, I think that's a false choice most of the time, at least in the long term. maybe in the near term, it's not right. But, but uh, you know, like kind of asking, I mean, I can imagine like a potential boss asking me, like, how do you do your best work? Like where, you know, like, where are you? Like, what are you doing? Like, do you work well at home? Do you work well in an open environment? Don't talk to me before 10 a.m. Are you a verbal processor? Are you not? You know, how much vacation do you need a year? What other, and also even boundaries are like, what other commitments do you have? You know, like, do you have, you know, an autistic child at home that needs a lot of care? Do you have an elderly parent that needs a lot of care? Like really, and I mean, maybe you might run into some legal trouble. Like, I don't, I'm not sure what you can ask in, right. in, in interviews or, or, or not. But, you know, and maybe it's just sort of a listening the response rather than asking, you know, pointed, you know, do you plan on having a child soon? Certainly in onboarding, like once you've decided to make the hire, then this could also be used in that conversation Mm -hmm. to to say, okay, well, you're here. So how can we, especially with that boundaries around what you need to do your best work? The client that I just taught this to today was bringing on a nanny. Uh Uh-huh. She has three kids and her husband got a job in another city. And so she's in, they're in this, you know, early stage together. So I coached her through mm-hmm. how to have this conversation with the nanny so that they start the relationship knowing yeah. how to talk to each other. Yeah. This is great. Oh, wow. I just realized my face was cut off in the... Yeah, it's been the whole time. It has been the whole time. We started, um, we started the video off. Those of you are listening on podcast, but Bob said, is this on video? And he had to get his hair straight you know, in order for, he was kidding. I know he was kidding, but then <laughs> until right now, we have see, only seen Bob's nose and then half of his face for most of the time. But you know what? Here's what's great. so great about that. I really appreciate that because that shows that Bob is like super present and not distracted by the fact that we're on video. The yeah. fact that he didn't even know we couldn't see half <laughs> of his face is like. I'm touching at myself the whole time. Yeah. Right. That's what I mean. It's such a testament to yeah, your presence. True. So thank you. Then going back to the nonprofit. So, kind of what was brought up earlier is about getting solutions or solving the problems that are the concerns that come, right? So, I mean, I would say with your son, it's a little bit different, but like with the nonprofit, it's like, 
So there are intentions, desires, concerns that are brought up, what's going on. And then how do you say for the woman that was like, well, this sounds like we're reinventing the patriarchy and you're, you can't be like, Oh, great. That's awesome. Later. You know, it's like, so how do you actually get to the point of creating these solutions? Well, ICBD is not going to fix the patriarchy. Let me just Cor- correct. Actually it can. Yes, it can. Yeah. Because this conversation is all about fairness. When we talk about psychological safety in the book, I'm totally stealing what you were about to say, wasn't I? No. Okay. (laughs) Psychological safety is when teams actually do work together better because there is equal time to speak because it is a safe place with a structure for real conversations to be had. And that is definitely not the patriarchy. Right. Yeah. Because it's decentralizing. Right. I also think, and this is something that I struggle with a lot because I work in organizational change. I'm often like either in the middle of a change program or I'm helping a leadership team sort of kick one off or define one. And, you know, and often I'm actually trying to work with rather unhealthy leadership teams. It's really common for leadership teams to be unhealthy just because they don't share a lot of work. Whereas, you know, like a product team in the company can be really healthy because they know what their mission is. Whereas the leadership team is all like, And a lot of them have often been like CEOs of their own companies and they come in with a certain level of ego and sort of like reconciling all of that can be really challenging. But what I find is that what the the role of this process is not that it fixes things immediately. It doesn't be like, it's not like, oh, we did that process and now we should hug and go, maybe maybe we do. Actually, after this one, everybody was hugging and it was really sweet. Um, But that's already part of their culture anyway. It wasn't like an addition to the culture. But it's a very, it's a little hippie kind of, they're hippies a little bit. But uh, so am I. So I'm married. Um, <laughs> so are we? Sorry, so are you? So, um, but what happened is, is that it is. I think there's a level of being able. To, I remember I mentioned heat before. Being able to hold paradox, hold heat, hold conflict, hold. You know, like I think we actually have to like increase our ability. And actually, one place that I'm thinking about this a lot. You know, and I know I've, I've seen your posts about race and kind of a racial, I know you had racial cargo on the show and all of this. And like, one of the things I'm realizing is like, part of what I need to do is increase my ability to hear stuff that I don't want to hear and be able just to hear it. And, and also stuff that I can't fix. Cause that's terrifying as well. Like stuff that I don't want to hear that I can't fix, Ooh. but being that, you know, like being in that space is a transformative act. You, you may not have transformed it, but you've created the conditions from which transformation can emerge. And that's what I've experienced with this particular team. So one of the things we identified early on and the leader, the founder identified as well, he's like, I'm not the person to lead this long-term. You know, he's like, we got founder syndrome and I'm the root of it. I know this, but he also was such a sort of, a, he's a genius. I mean, I, I deeply respect his thinking and his, his work and he's, you know, highly opinionated, you know, and his opinions are often right, you know, sort of like, well, how do we get him to play the appropriate role? And from this, we actually just got announced the other day that actually starting on Monday, they have a brand new executive director who is a powerhouse and, you know, like somebody who is deeply respected by everybody who I believe strongly will unify. And I don't know that would have been possible. I don't know if he would have been able to hand it over. I don't, you know, without everybody, without a sort of the heat generated from this particular conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to credit it with that necessarily because I think, you know, there's a lot of other contributing factors, but I think we did lay the groundwork where one, we also had him really feel, okay, this is a problem. If I want to be in line with my own values, I have to fix this. I actually, I think you can take credit for it because I've now witnessed or been a part of this conversation structure so many times 
that I've seen, like just by talking through or hearing other people, you come to mm -hmm. the realizations of what is just true needs to be done is fair and equitable. Like if you are for each other, you either get to hell. Yes. Or as we like to say, you get to hell. No. Yeah. That is just as valuable. Like, Oh wait, this is not a good idea. We should not be doing this at all. Or we need to totally rethink this and then, okay, let's go rethink this. That's a, also a great result. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, that's what I see with this just off the examples we've yeah. used today. Cause when we're training somebody, you know, I used to do this a lot with our network marketing business. It wasn't about me telling the person what to do. It was about me asking the correct questions and they figured out their own solution. Right. And that's what exactly like that sentence right there kind of sums up this process after hearing the examples explained out where it's like you're helping someone or a team or an organization or structure or a partnership identify what's going on. Like hearing each role where everybody is and eventually the solution will be determined based off how going through these four steps. And, and it's not that anything has to be solved at that moment, but it's like, there's clarity saying like the patriarch is a great example. It's like, well, we're not going to fix that this second, yeah. but the founder could be like, Oh, we got a major problem. Now I see what's going on. So what do I have to do to take myself out of the situation that allows the team to thrive? And to get super hippie about it, this is a very masculine structure in which to have a very emotional feminine yes. process. Like there's simple four steps and each one is we're talking about this area and that's it. And then we move forward very linear, but in each section, the heart and the soul and the organic can emerge. And so it feels very safe to people who are not used to being very vulnerable out loud. And to get the opposite of hippie, <laughs> which is, um, I don't know if you've read the book, uh, never split the difference by Chris Voss. No, but you're giving me, I'm writing all of these throughout books. Um, anyway, but Voss, I, I'm always, I get obsessed with a book and then I talk about it nonstop. But so Voss is, he was one of my favorite books of the last year. He was the international hostage negotiator, lead international hostage negotiator for the FBI for many years. And like, uh, he's a, you know, dyed in the wool law enforcement guy. And so he began to develop, he actually helped the FBI sort of develop their hostage negotiation practice. And one of the things he realized early on is that the emotions of the other person really matter. And also that he can't hey, do shocking. <laughs> shocking, right? And it was shocking. It was shocking to the negotiation world. We, you know, our book is, the name of our book is sort of a play on getting to yes, which is William Urry from the Harvard Negotiation Project. And so Voss went to the Harvard Negotiation Project. He got invited to go in and he, he was very intimidated. And in the first several exercises, he basically kicked ass. He, he basically smoked everybody. He smoked everybody, including the professors. Like he would just, and you know, um, like the professors, like they sprung a thing on him where they're like, you have your son, you know, and we're going to, we're going to kill him if we don't. And he had to negotiate immediately. And he basically boxed them into a corner very quickly because he was attuned to the emotions. You don't have to like what the other person feels, but you have to know what the other person feels. You don't have to align, be aligned with their, with, with their intentions, but you have to be aware of their intentions. And so, you know, like, and I, and I mentioned, I use this in sales all the time. It's really, I think, refreshing for people because I sell consulting and change management programs a lot, sometimes some very big ticket items. And so people will come in and they'll expect me to say, this is why I'm great. And instead I come in and say, wait, why, why are you doing this? Yeah. And, and if we go wrong, where will we go wrong? What are your concerns? What's freaking you out right now? And what must happen? What must not happen? Because that helps me map their organization, right? Who has signing authority to what? 
who's the boss that they have to please. And then their dreams, which no one ever asks them, right? Which is like, what if, you know, like, oh, well, I get a promotion. Okay, cool. My job is to help you get a promotion then. All right. I'm going to make my, my proposal is going to center around this guy who has signing authority, getting a promotion at the end of it, Yeah. you know? So I think that's genius. It's amazing. I just stumbled so on simple. it because I'm a, I always thought I was a terrible salesperson. I never was interested in sales. I was like, well, I'll try this. And then it just kept working. <laughs> As you were speaking, I just wrote down a little note to myself to use, uh, to try, practice this as a format for writing mm-hmm. a sales page. Cause I don't do any one-on-one selling really, but I do a lot of written selling and, and I'm going to practice. I'll let you guys know. I mean, send that to, I would, I would love to see how that turns out. That'd be yeah. 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 Cause I'm about to rewrite a sales page in the next month. So I'll yeah. use this as a framework and I'll, I'll report back. I'm going to use this for everything. <laughs> <laughs> so we do. Thank you. We do. Yeah, we, we do. Use it for everything. We're constantly in it. Bob likes to say, it's like, you know, if you're learning to play guitar, you practice the scales and then you go play jazz eventually, right? We're just kind of going back and forth with it all the time. And it's a way to bring kind of a business-like logical structure to your personal relationships and bring more emotion and heart to your business relationships. We, we were in a cab on the way to Astoria on Tuesday to give our first talk. We never given the, we've never given a talk together. So it was our, not only was our first project, it was our first talk. And I was like, so what are your intentions? And she she like rolled her eyes. (laughs) (laughs) And then we had a great conversation. And it it really set us up. We we, we arrived aligned and we were like ready to roll. And it was like, I think it was a good talk. I haven't seen the video yet, but I thought thought it played well. Now, where did this come from? So this came from a workshop I was teaching several years ago. And it was a workshop for couples. If it's okay with you, I'm not going to go into great detail. That's fine. What that was. This is some personal details about me, which you'll people can figure out probably. But but it was a workshop for couples, and couples were coming in with a lot of expectation. They were coming in and, and often conflicting expectation, and often years of angst and years of feeling like they weren't happy. They weren't, you know. And so, and I thought I was teaching sort of a technical workshop, but I realized the problem was that it wasn't about the technique. It wasn't about technical stuff. It was really about the interpersonal interaction that was going on between the two people. And it all had to do with expectations. It all had to do with where they were set up. And so I was actually working, I was a marketing consultant at the time. I was doing some coaching. And one of the people I was coaching was a dating coach. And so she actually shared with me a sort of a, let's call it a proto version of this. I I ended up modifying it quite a bit over time, but a proto version of this conversation. And I was like, oh, that sounds useful. Let me give that a try. And so I just kind of kept, I kept using it. And then Alex helped me teach the workshops a few times. And then that's where she learned it. And then we ended up refining it because as we talked about it, we're like, what, well, what is an intention really? What are we really talking about when we're talking about it? At least the first few times I did it, I was probably just like, I almost took any answer. And then I got really more crisp about what is an intention? What is a concern? And then context by context, what boundaries are important? And I think only it's only in the last year that I've really talked about self-care a lot in the business context with this. It used to be more about like budgetary boundaries and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I realized, no, no, that's not the issue. So this is sort of like an onion. It's sort of like peeled slowly. And then I think that was when we started realizing like people were calling us and asking us about it. And then it bled its way. And, you know, as we, you know, actually, I think the first time we really used it personally, I have a little bit of a, you know, kind of a cantankerous relationship with my family, as I think many people do. It's not, it's not terrible. It's not wonderful, but it's just sort of like, it. All, I always don't like the way I show up when I go, especially when I'm taking a partner to see my family. 
And so on, on you know, it's finally, I think our third or fourth trip to see my family, I was like, I don't, I don't like the way this has gone. Let's see if we can make it go better. And we ended up with coming up with great boundaries. Like we stay in a hotel, we don't stay, you know, and we take a walk or we each get alone time while we're there. We don't have to do everything that my mother wants us to do. We only stay two nights. We stay two nights, you know? And frankly, I just had the best visit I have ever had with my family. I think hands down, and I'm 53 years old, and you know, and I've been visiting my family for a long time, so I left home at 18. This was hands down the best visit and I've ever had. your boundaries kept getting clearer and clearer over mm -hmm. the last three or four years. And I mean, yeah. it was beautiful to see you come back. And, I, and it was all about boundaries in a way, because like, I was on my own, that you didn't come with me. And I was like, but I'm still going to stay in a hotel. And I, that felt really almost like violent, like based on my family history. But man, it made a huge difference. Yeah. Knowing that I could just retreat to the hotel and have my, because I'm a, I'm a little bit of an introvert. And, and I, I really want to underscore this. Our boundaries and our concerns, it might be a seemingly small concern or boundary that you state that could change everything. And we so discount what we want or what we worry about or what feels bad or what even we feels good to us that we never even give it voice. And so we just steamroller over everything that's true about us in order to try to mind read or be something for other people. And I, you know, I, I, I gotta say, I credit this process with this being a great relationship. I know we've been together seven years now, and this is hands down the best marriage I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> He's had more of them than yeah, I had more marriages than she had. Amazing. <laughs> well, I am so excited about this process. Cool. I'm so excited that you two are doing this work together because it's so cool how it came so organically, you know, as opposed to not that there's anything wrong with this, but sometimes it's like, oh, we want to do a business. What should we sell, right? In it's as opposed to, wow, this is organically emerging. People want it. I guess, okay, well, let's give it to them. That's so beautiful. Yeah. We were actually very clear to stay out of each other's businesses yeah. in the first few years of our relationship. I can see why. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah, based on your past. Although having run a business with my husband now for five years, I'm a big fan, but it only works when you've got some frameworks like this going on. Mm -hmm. with yeah. the, and I'm, I'm excited to add that. When it's, yeah, we always say like, I wish I, the title of the next book, maybe. Oh, I don't yeah. know. Actually, sure. it's, 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 this is a total maybe. This is this is like a notion. This is like a the beginnings of a notion. Um, but is behind every great couple is each other. No. It's a great title. URL. Yeah, go buy the URL. But yeah, this idea that we're really that I feel like unequivocally that when I'm given the opportunity, it's my job to show up as for Alex. You know, mm -hmm. like as a hundred percent. You know, it's not fifty fifty, it's hundred hundred, right? Right. And that I feel really like she's got my back in all things. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things to do is when she says, hey, should we? And I just say yes before, okay. before she <laughs> asks what it is. You know, it, was like, <laughs> it always delights her. I love it. <laughs> I love that too. I'm delighted and I'm not even there. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. So this was great. I'm so inspired. Um, where, where should people get this book? They should go to gettingtohellyes.com. 
Great. It's, you can you can download it for free. You can get the oh. PDF there for free. You don't even have to give us your email address. Like we really just wanted to get this out into the world. How generous. You can put your email in and we'll send you a video of us and a cheat sheet and blah, blah, blah. blah. But if you just want it and you don't even want to have to hear from us ever again, you can just go to gettingtohellyes.com and you can get it for 99 cents uh, as a Kindle. Okay. You could do that too. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can buy a physical copy? Print it. Yes, it's over there. Yes. It's a very cute little booklet. Fits in your pocket. Six ninety nine on Amazon. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. You can get it for free, gettingtohellyes.com or Kindle or printed via Amazon for All just a little bit. All the information is there on getting to, on getting to help. Amazing. It'll direct you to everything. It'll direct and do you have links to like your personal sites as well on there? Yeah. 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 Great. Okay, great. Find out about us. Yeah. And we are, we're encouraging people to, to use it and get back to us. Like we want to know how it's working for people. We've already had one woman used it in some kind of sales conference thing. She wrote back, she was like, Oh my gosh, this was great. We used it already. And this was really helpful. I'm like, please tell us. How it's going we want to hear if you guys end up using it let us know oh, we're going to use it i already am it's happening <laughs> <laughs> it's happening right now well, you can use it by yourself too right you can like use it to get oh yes yeah. i mean it, it, it's like even if even if you don't use this in your work environments whatever but just me like because i went to school for engineering so this and organizational leadership and supervision so this process is already like do 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 it's very easy for me to figure out and it's a great way because I could write down on a piece of paper if I'm going to launch something or I want to write a blog post or a great idea at this moment is like responding to people's Facebook comments, yeah. right? Like I have this, I, I've had some crazy people comment on stuff on my website and I write up these posts that's very emotional. Like it, and you see it, it's just like this dialogue of attacks towards each other. And I finally, one day I was just like, I have a podcast. I'm inviting you to come on it to have these discussions and let's actually really talk about these situations. And of course people don't respond to say, yes, they'll do it. They're just done. And I was like, okay, that's over next, you know, but it's even like responding there, writing blog posts, like just list this out and be like, what are my intentions for this? What are my concerns about this post? Oh, my mom thinks might think I'm a, you know, negative thing. And it's like, okay, well that's not valid. Right. It's like, and you just start listing this out for individual projects you're doing. And I feel like, yeah, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've used it for exactly the same reason, by the way, like Facebook arguments. Yes. <laughs> I love Facebook arguments. So oh, I, was so, I, I love them. I just stop them. And was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So funny. Uh, well, thank you, you guys. This was such thank a great you. conversation. Thank you for having us, really. We really appreciate it. Good work. Good work. So exciting. Yay. Thank you. Bye. Ever feel like you're constantly doing things but aren't able to carve out the time or energy for the things that really matter to you? Mike and I want to share our top five tools for making a life, not just a living. To learn what they are, go to katenorthrup.com forward slash tools. See you on the next episode.